Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're in John chapter 13. I'll start at verse 31. Just to remind you that we're in the upper room, the night in which Jesus was betrayed. He is, has gathered them. They're having a Passover meal. Judas now, where we pick up, has gone out of the room. And the Lord turns to the remaining 11 that are there around that Passover table. And he begins to teach them and invest in them. He's only got a matter of hours left. By, by 9 o'clock in the morning, he will be on the cross. He knows that. Absolutely knows this. And so these are the final hours he has. And he's going to put into them these foundational truths about the future. He's saying, I'm leaving. And when I'm gone, here's how you will stand strong. And he begins to put these huge stones in place. We're going to look at the first thing he says to them. He says, I'm leaving. And then he says this. He talks, he gives them the new commandment. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Start at verse 31. Judas has gone out of the room. And then we, and we saw these verses, these first two verses last week. Now, Jesus said, the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. So the first thing Jesus does the minute Judas betrays him and leaves the room is to confess what the Bible says about him. Because it's actually in the past tense. He's saying this is what the word says, that the Son of Man will be glorified and the Father will be glorified in him. He, he, he comes against that attack with the word. How do, you, how do you fight an attack of the enemy? How do you fight the lie? How do you fight the insecurity? How do you fight that horrible thing that's said and planted in your heart? The Word of God. He goes right at it with the Word of God and just hits it hard right there. And then he says this. Little children, I am with you a little longer. Don't you love that little children phrase? Yeah, he calls them little children. I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, and that phrase Jews means uh, the relig- religious leaders. Now I am also going to say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Would you read verse 34 out loud with me? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. And then verse 35 says this, By this all men, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Would you read that? By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter misses the point again, and said to him, Lord, where are you going? Uh... And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot come. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. They were in their final hours together. He would be arrested soon. And by nine o'clock in the morning, he'd be on the cross. So Jesus devoted the time they had left to preparing his disciples for the future. Here were the truths to which they would need to cling. Here were promises they would, that would carry them through the trials they would face in the years ahead. He spoke of heaven, love, prayer, the Holy Spirit, obedience, persecution, and of course, his return to set up the kingdom of God. And then he let them listen as he interceded for them before the Father. None of the topics he taught that evening is a surprise. All are foundational to discipleship. But what is surprising is the topic that he chose first. No sooner had he announced that he would be leaving them than he issued what he called a new commandment and said that their obedience to that command would be the single most important miracle that would cause people to believe in him. Nothing they could do would be more effective. Indeed, he would empower them to do supernatural works that were even greater than those he had done. But those miracles wouldn't have the greatest impact. They wouldn't be the most important way of convincing the world that he was the Savior or that they were his disciples. That powerful witness would happen only when they obeyed the new commandment. Only when they chose to love each other as deeply as he had loved them. Today, let's try to understand what that means so we too can release the greatest miracle of all. Wouldn't you think, I mean, don't we think, if uh, the way you're really going to win the world is wow them. You know, if we could just ha you know, have, some, have some raise the deads and, 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 and some dramatic miracles, that'll just wow them. They'll all go, oh, your God's the real God, you know, and they would, they would be in it. But it doesn't work very well like that way. I mean, I'll bet you've already seen people who've seen miracles who are just walking away from the Lord. You remember the, the guy who, they came to, it's a peril, but they come to the Lord and they say, Lord, if someone would rise from the dead, this guy who's died, he says, if somebody would rise from the dead and go back to my brothers, my five brothers, they'd all believe, I'm just sure they would. And Jesus' response was, hey, even if somebody comes back from the dead, they won't believe. He said, if they won't believe Moses and, and the prophets, meaning the Bible, they won't believe if, a, if someone comes alive from the dead, which he was going to, and they didn't. You follow this? Miracles have an effect, but mostly to disturb people. Mostly to shake them. So when Jesus says, he says, what is going to cause the world to say, wow, he's real. And you're his people. He says, isn't those kinds of miracles. The miracle he, that, that, that shocks the world is when you love one another as I have loved you. He said, well, if you'll do that, that will go out like a shockwave through the, the society around you. Knowing that he would be arrested within a few hours, Jesus felt a strong parental concern for his disciples. He affectionately addressed them as little children. This is the only time it's not recorded. And John never forgot that term. He later used it himself when writing to believers. These 11 men would soon be forced to carry on without him. Though he would be spiritually present wherever they went, his physical presence would cease. So he began to assure them that though he would soon return to heaven, he would not abandon them. 
God would provide new resources for a new, the new season that lay ahead of them. And from that moment on, everything he taught was designed to prepare them for his departure. Though his disciples might watch for him, hoping that he would reappear, other than a, during a few special visitations, Jesus would physically remain in heaven. And he would not return to the earth until the time arrived for him to set up God's kingdom. He reminded them that he had also told the religious leaders, the Jews, that he would look for, they would look for him but not find him. But in their case, he said they'd be seeking for him in order to arrest him. So they wouldn't find him because he would be in heaven and they weren't going to heaven unless they believed in him. But the situation would be very different for his disciples. They would find him when they sought for him. Over the course of that evening, he went on to teach that he would always be spiritually present with them as they continued to live out their days on earth. And when it came time for each one to die, they would join him in heaven. But the appointed time for each to die had not arrived, so he said to them, you can't, where I go, you cannot come. Very aware of the cross that awaited him, Jesus then issued what he called a new commandment. Through Moses, God had already commanded his people to love one another. He had said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why don't we say that? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, I got to love you like I love me. I got to take care of you like I take care of me. That's, that's a very good thing. But Jesus now ordered his followers to love one another at an even deeper level. They are to love one another just as I have loved, I loved you, that you also love one another. By commanding believers to love each other with the same selfless love that led him to the cross, Jesus was telling us that we must be willing to die for each other. This, that shifts the boundaries of our love to a level far deeper than the commitments found in most human relationships. Only in extreme circumstances, like war, violence, assaults, or natural emergencies, will a small percentage of humans be willing to give their lives for one another. So if Christ's disciples were regularly to exhibit this attitude toward one another, it would set them apart and draw attention to them. Their behavior would remind people of the love that was in Jesus when he died on the cross. Jesus said, in this way, all people will know, and the word he uses for know there means to learn from their relationship with you. There's a knowing by revelation kind of thing, but there's a knowing by experience. As I encounter you, I learn this. You, that you are my disciples, if you all have love among one another. In other words, they would provide tangible proof that he is the Savior, whom he claims to be, and that he is truly building the family of God. Their life together would be the very best proof of the validity of the message they proclaimed. Clearly, Jesus expected his followers to continue living as a community of believers after he departed. And he wanted that community marked by the fact that they loved one another with the same depth of selfless love that he had loved them. He says, you are going to love each other with the kind of love God loves. You're going to love each other another, so that when people encounter you, they are experiencing heaven. I want them to be able to, you know, God incarnates. He doesn't just talk. He lets us see. We, we discover the Father because we get to see our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. That's who he's like. We can watch how he treats people. We can watch how he deals with sinners. We can watch how he deals with sick people and lepers. We can see how he behaves. 
We are watching God in the flesh. That teaches us things that no amount of words would ever do. God's still incarnating Jesus through his people. And the number one thing he wants to incarnate and show the world is his love and grace. And he wants them not just hear about it. He wants them to watch it, touch it, experience it through us. You following this? So how we treat each other is huge. We are not an audience. This is not a place you come for religious interest or even teaching for yourself. We have been called into a people so the world could see Jesus and his love and believe. And he says, that will be the number one way I will reach the world. So you can see why he's got a problem. You know, the church has not, and the church at large has not followed this well at all. There is some, thank heavens, uh, but, it's, but it's been missing. The scandal. G. Campbell Morgan, one of the great preachers of a past generation, said this, the measure in which Christian people fail to love each other is the measure in which the world does not believe in them or their Christianity. Think of it. The greatest scandal of Christianity is that Christians don't love each other. That's the main accusation that you, is used to discredit the claims of Jesus Christ. If he really is the Savior, then why don't his people act differently than the world around them? Why are they so divided? Why are there so many denominations? Why, are they separate? Why do they separate from, each, from other Christians into cultural groups on Sunday morning? Where's the miracle that proves that their heart is different than ours? We don't see a change. We think they're just like us. Only they refuse to admit it. They pretend to be something they're not. That's what they think about us. They think we're a bunch of hypocrites. They also think we're sort of stupid. They think... We're just like them. We're just as cold-hearted. We're just as selfish. We're just as everything else. Only we pretend to be something we're not. They're at least honest. So, so they actually have got the thing turned on its head where they feel we are the more righteous in a sense. We are boldly and honestly being who we are. You're just a bunch of phonies. And the thing they point to is you don't love each other. You don't love each other. We don't see any kind of, we don't see you mixing with each other. We see you, you see you dividing. We see you criticizing. We see you pulling apart. You're, you're just like us. You're just religious. And we don't want your religion. That's the scandal. That's the thing we're accused of, our society. Our society is divided and dividing even more. It's splitting along lines wherever people are different. Selfless love is hard to find, except on occasion with our military, our police, our firefighters, or our medical community. Let me, let me stop there a second. If you recall, we had this terrible uh, shooting in Washington, D.C., where you had a group of uh, uh, Congress in a baseball practice, and a man with a rifle uh, came and... Uh, asked if they were Republicans or Democrats, and then to, we, I guess he fired like 50 to 100 rounds. I mean, this is, this is a killing field. It's, it's, and he had, he had this rifle, and he's just boom, 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 just going at him. Fortunately, uh, one of the players has, is, it was the majority whip, so he had security. So there were two Capitol Police, a man and a woman there. And as the shooting took place, um, 
Actually, he's the one, first one that went down. Yeah, he, he got it right in the hip, and then the bullet went right in through his organs. And so he's going through a lot of surgeries, but he's alive. But the, cap, the two Capitol Police who were there came out into the fire and with pistols. They don't have, with pistols, they're, they're coming at him. And both the man and the woman were hit. Both were hit and kept going straight into the fire and took him down. Or it would have been an absolute massacre. He was there working his way, got clear over to the dugout. I mean, he's just, he's there to kill them all. But those two, that man, that woman, basically said, we'll die defending you. You know, when you put on a uniform, that's often what you're saying. I have to be willing to let my life be given for yours. That we do see it, and I have to be fair. It, there are examples of that. The military, the medical community, the firefighters, go, you down, go down that, and you'll see it occasionally. It was just plain citizens in, in a heroic situation where they just put their life on the line and fight for somebody. That, that, that's this kind of love. That's what he's talking about. We do see it. So in the midst of all this division, if a community of people gathers who are from very different backgrounds, languages, ethnicities, economic status, etc., who radiate warm joy at being together, who genuinely care for each other when there is trouble, and who are not outwardly, merely outwardly friendly, but truly welcoming when those who, are, who long for their love show up. Do you know what I'm saying? You can smile and say hi, but be as cold as ice. Uh, you don't mean it. Uh, you're just being friendly. Friendly means nothing. It's, am I willing to let you into my heart and life? Am I willing to be your brother or your sister? Am I willing to live life with you and love you and accept you? Not just am I willing to smile at you and greet you, you know, for a brief second. And people can feel it and they can tell it. This is a family or this is simply a friendly place. That community will stand out like a light in the darkness. The world around them will be more than interested. They will be fascinated. They'll begin to watch closely, and yes, with skepticism. They will look for hypocrisy, hidden selfish motives, signs of pride and exclusion. But if the kind of love Jesus is talking about is really there, the honest ones will recognize its markers. Unusual kindness, surprising generosity, remarkable patience. The investment of time in one another, a delightful delight at being together, the capacity to absorb an offense and be reconciled. You understand that a capacity to absorb an offense and be reconciled. That is absolutely vital to, to us loving one another. Because we will offend one another. That's just human nature. It's how you run a family. It's how you run a marriage. It's how you run anything. You learn to walk in the light. This past week alone, I had two sessions with people where I had to sit down and walk in the light and be reconciled and be at peace. And both turned out beautifully. Absolutely beautifully. One was a long-standing one. And I made an appointment. I mean, we, I, you know, I said, God, I don't have the guts to do this. Uh, this is not somebody in the church. This church. And, uh, and I said, I, you, you'll have to, but I know he can do this. So I, I, I knew what I was getting myself into. I said, but if you arrange it, I'll do it. And sure enough, you know, <laughs> you, you, yeah, 
It's one of those prayers. You pray according to his will, he hears you, and you have a petition which you ask of him. And so I surely did, and, and by George, here it came. And what a wonderful time. What a wonderful time. Just walking in light, getting stuff out. Somebody that I felt the need to bless and forgive over and over again, uh, it's just totally gone. You see, you have to, you tend your heart. Why am I doing that? Because I know what bitterness does. I know how, how ungodly it is. I know how wrong it is. Uh, you, I can sit there and recite why I'm right. That's just deadly. I've got to get this out of my soul. If, if, if at all, it can happen. I've got to get it out. I've got to love. I've got to be at peace. I can't harbor that stuff. And I, with someone else, just had a wonderful talk and, and come away. And, and, you know, you end up just sort of feeling this deep love for, for people that only, you know, a little bit ago you were, you were frustrated with. What a, what, a, what, a, what a wonderful thing. God's given us that. He's taught us how to do it. Speak the truth in love, says Paul. Speak the truth in love. Be reconciled with one another. He just tells us that over and over again. So how essential that is. Signs of, what does it look like when, it, when it's this kind of selfless love? What does it look like? What, what is it? This may sound silly, but listen, listen carefully. This past week, one of the people you didn't see standing here in a blue shirt was my wife. Now, she's going on the Royal Family Kids Camp, and she'll, she'll be there tomorrow morning. But this, um, this, she left Wednesday at 10 o'clock at night, and she flew back to Connecticut. Um, our 40-year-old nephew was out running, and he collapsed and died. Yeah, just absolutely uh, shocking. Um, so we've been, of course, we pray for our nephews and nieces, uh, you know, have forever and on a regular basis. But we, you don't know how we're doing, you know, how is it? And so our great concern is, how was he with the Lord? I mean, how are we doing here? And so I said, you know, tell me about the church when you see, you know, what it is. So, so, so she calls me on the phone, and I, and I said, you know, because they'd met with... Uh, it turns out that my, my nephew was indeed a part of a, of a church there in the city. And, uh, and uh, it was, uh, and I, and, and the church had been bringing over food and caring for them. Now that, and here's what Mary said. Now listen to this. She said, she said, they're bringing over tons of food. She said, and not pizza. She said, they're bringing hot dishes and things that are for, for 20 people. Did you hear what my wife just said? They're not taking the cheap way out. They're not going and buying a stack of pizza and some soda pop and sticking it on your kitchen table and saying, good luck with you. These, probably mostly women, and men too. Uh, in fact, he was part of the men's meeting. For all I know, it was men. They're, they cooked. They'd gone, they got their hands dirty. They went out and bought stuff, and they put together a beautiful something and brought it over what does that tell you? They love her. Not pizza. Hot dish for 20. Yeah! And, and what I thought, you know what I thought? Hallelujah, he saved. I did. Hallelujah. It's a real church. It's the real thing. It's not a bunch of phonies. Yes, Jesus, thank you for getting our nephew. And indeed, turns out it indeed absolutely is a real church. And the service was glorying in Christ and declaring his faith. and Boy, what, a, what an answer to prayer. What a horrible moment, but what an answer to prayer. 
We know where our nephew is. What a witness to the whole family. And that church proclaimed Christ. But they proclaimed Christ by the way they loved them. Do you hear this? This isn't old-fashioned. This isn't silly. This is human. This is the way we love each other. One more thing comes to my mind. I would, I'm just, uh, I, I just, unusual care for people who aren't your direct family. Um, a while back, we had someone who was, who was in the hospital, and I went down to the hospital, and I went into the waiting room, and I didn't realize it looked like we were having a, uh, a, the, the five o'clock service. I mean, you were all there, you know, just as, you know, and, and, and I came up, and, and one of the nurses came over and said, are, are you the pastor of these people? <laughs> and I said, yes, you know, I am. And, and she says, they're amazing. Because you have been holding a vigil for someone, and you'd been praying, and you'd been gathering in circles, and you didn't leave. You just sat there. In fact, they had to come up with a program to let you in the room. They had to say, you can come in by twos or threes, and you have to, you have to go out, and then you can come in, and then you have to go out, and then you have to come in. And so they had to, literally had to organize the, the army that sat there and vigiled for, for one of the members of the church. When she, when she said to me, she said, are you their pastor? They're amazing. Yes, I'm their pastor. And what you were saying is, we're, we love that person. We love each other. It isn't just about our, the immediate family. We are a family. And you said it loud and clear, and the whole staff saw it. You follow me? These kinds of things. It, it's, it, don't just think like, i got to go willing, willing to get in front of a bullet for you. Yes, that's the extreme end of it. But it, pizza or hot dish, show up at the hospital, be there at the funeral, stand with them, love them. So that, those things speak just as loud. The greatest miracle. Why is selfless love the greatest miracle? You would think the greatest miracle would be the power to walk on water or raise the dead. I think the answer is because it's easier to heal someone's body than change someone's heart. Power is impressive, but this love is holy. When it is present, one can feel the warmth of heaven. It reaches to a place inside us that's deeper than our intellect. It satisfies a hunger in us to belong. It quenches a thirst to be part of a family. It feels like we're coming home. It's like the aroma of heaven. There is in every human heart this feeling of longing to be part of a family, of a loving family and community of people. It's, it's primal to us. We are so lonely. And we've, many of us have parked ourselves off in, in such a, we've painted ourselves into a corner. We've had troubled relationships and we've had all of this, but we're so achingly lonely inside. And when we see this kind of love, it just stirs something in us. It is a longing that rises up. I, uh, excuse me, I don't know which one first. The, the thing that I, I noted as a child, when I, we came to the Lord, at, I was 12. My mother was a single mom. And this is back when you just, there was, I mean, I was the only divorced kid I, from a divorced family I knew in my school. So it, it was a real stigma. And nobody really wanted us around. They didn't want a single, mo a single woman. 
was divorced, and they didn't want her, her only child, her boy. And so wherever we went, we were just, we were tolerated. It was people were polite, but you could feel it. You knew you, knew you weren't wanted. You knew that they were relieved when you left. But, you know, you, you did what you were supposed to do, and you, you left. But everywhere we went, we just sort of, you sort of go to gatherings and endure it. I mean, you know, try to be polite because, you know, they're, they're just soon you left. Um, when we came to the Lord, it was with a, just this group, for most of the part, there was just charismatic Episcopalians, and uh, then some Presbyterians thrown in there, because God elected to do so. Um, no, <laughs> I can say that. I was a Presbyterian pastor, and I love Presbyterians, okay? Um, so, but, we had, but here was this group of people, and it was just, this was not a formal anything. This was just a, a, a group of people who began to come together in homes. But the thing that for me as a 12-year-old boy, after all of this, that was just stunning, was they really wanted us. We'd never been wanted before. They actually would call. They wanted us to be coming. We were glad when we were there. They weren't waiting for us to leave. A divorced woman and a single boy. They actually were glad we were there. It was huge. You have no idea the message that sent to me. It was so healing. All right, I'm wanted. I belong somewhere. They love me. And that community of people just stayed together forever. It was, it, it's an enormous message. People are, if they, if they see this, it goes so deep inside them. They, they want to be. They want to be loved. Notice, Jesus didn't command his followers to merely can maintain a positive mental attitude toward one another. His new commandment is far more costly. It demands that we step into our, an intense level of relationship with others and allow God to teach us how to love them at a level beyond our natural ability. See, he's talking about a love that we can't do without him. He's calling us to enter into a miracle, a miracle so great that it will prove to a skeptical world that he is real and awaken the hope that he can work that same miracle inside of them. Yes, there are many who need a miracle in their finances. There are those who need healing. There are those who need to be released from demonic harassment. And on that same evening, Jesus promised that we would be given the power to do those things. Those are wonderful miracles. And we desire as many as possible. But the miracle most humans desire above all others is the ability to love and be loved. People realize that their hearts have gone cold. They hate it, but they don't know what to do about it. Everyone around them has the same problem. They long whether they know it or not, for the promise God gave through Ezekiel. Would you read this out loud with me? I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is a promise in Ezekiel 36. It speaks of when Messiah comes. It's absolutely messianic. When Messiah comes, God says, I will gather my people. I will cleanse you and wash you with water from your sins. And then he says, and I will take out of your midst a, the heart of stone, and I will put inside of you 
a heart of flesh. I will do a miracle and I will change your heart. Do you hear this? And then he, the next thing is, and I will fill you with the Spirit. As the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all there. I really believe this. You, you got to understand this. It affects the way I preach. It affects the way I pastor. It informs everything I do. Here's what I believe. If you have repented and given your heart to Jesus Christ, he has done a miracle inside of you. It is part of the package. This is what he does. He's taken out your stony heart, and he has put inside you a tender heart. So I know this about you. I know you love him. I know you want to please him. And I know you want to do the right thing. So I don't need to manipulate you, threaten you, frighten you, scare you, do that kind of stuff. I don't need to do that. What do I need to do as a pastor? I need to show you how to obey him. I need to show you how to do what you already want to do. Did you follow this? I believe this. I need to, I, my, my job, our job, is to help people do what they already want to do. How do you get... I don't need to tell some poor person who's full of addiction ought to get rid of it. I need to help them get rid of it because they've been trying to get rid of it for years. You follow this? this, this is, and it's because of this very miracle. There is in any true believer... In fact, John, when he writes his first epistle later on, That'll come years later. He'll say, if you don't have love, you don't belong to God. He'll say, the evidence that God is in you is that you have love for the brethren. Did you follow that? And he didn't even say the world at that point. Now, because we know the effect this has on the world. This is what draws the world. But he says, if you don't have that kind of love, you don't have the new heart. So he puts, he puts not only part of what he puts in you is a love for him and a love for his people. With all of our mistakes and all of our weaknesses, with our, our foolishness and our immaturities and our, our mistakes and our look, walking it out, but we're family. And something happens that you begin to feel that. I told you many times, but I, years ago when I, was, when I was young, the Lord really scolded me. There's times he speaks mean to me, but for the most part, he's nice. <laughs> but when he speaks mean, I mean, when it's blunt and kind of... Uh, I do listen. And he said, I, I had been joking about his church, saying, I like you, but I don't like your people. I told you this. But he said, that he, he really brought me up short, and he says, I don't ever want to hear that again. He said, I love my people. And I thought, do you know them? Do you know them? <laughs> I love my people. Weaknesses, failures, mistakes, struggles, I love them. And I don't ever want you to say that again. I haven't. I haven't. And I got it. We, I do not, you, you, this is not an audience and you are not my job. We are a family. I'm a brother. And I got put here by the Lord, my family did. To simply be family with you here. To live out my discipleship here. We are living as a family. We will be together forever. It will never end. These things are eternal and very important. Do you understand? This is what he's called us to. Now, I understand that society and I understand even the church world has lost a lot of that. But when you go to Jesus, he's absolutely clear about what, we, what we're here for. This is why when unbelievers encounter people who really love each other, 
and would gladly love them as well, deep primal emotions begin to stir. Hope that, love, that the love they're seeing is real and fear that they'll discover it's not and be disappointed once more. Some may be confused by the fact that this miracle seems to come from Jesus, who's so controversial. They may wrestle with religious doubts or shame over past behavior. Inside them, there may be a turmoil as their head argues with their heart. But the heart knows when, lo when, when it sees knows love when it sees it. And when it does, it ignites a yearning that draws people like a magnet. When I was young, and uh, 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 we would go in the summers to my mom's family home, which was in Bemidji, Minnesota. And so we'd go up there and spend you know, part, part of every year there. And... and um, I, we, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking to the Lord now, and we are. And, and so we, we were going down, my mom and I were going down to this, uh, it's a Mennonite, a, a spirit-filled Pentecostal Mennonite uh, uh, camp about 80 miles away on the, on, the, on the White Earth Indian Reservation called Strawberry Lake. Somebody looked it up last night. It's still going. In fact, they're having a big thing this week. I didn't know that. I'd like to go. And, uh, but it, it's... it's uh, the, I'm always telling you stories. Don't do it. Um, yeah, stay on the story. You're on. Um, so we drive down there, and as as I begin to just invite friends, you want to come along? You know, here we go. And uh, and so I'd end up sooner or later. I got a whole car full of young people, you know, and and so you're going to turn this into a party. So so we're 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 stopping for for hamburgers on the way and we're and we're just pulling up to the to the to stoplights and doing a fire drill around the car and and just all of those kinds of things and we're going uh, night after night we're driving 80 miles to a pentecostal uh tabernacle in the woods made out of plywood and i'm gonna tell you it was good <laughs> some of the best people i've ever heard and and the power was there and then after a while we got two cars and then we got three cars, and we're caravanning down now, and, and, and just with all these people. And some of, the, some, some of the young people, you would never in the world have gotten into church. You never would have gotten into church. But frankly, this was the best party in town. This was more fun, and we're singing. Uh, you know, all of these songs, everybody's going, they're singing in harmony. The, the, the cars are just rocking and rolling as they, they go down the thing and driving back. And we, 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 I won't go through all the story. We rent pontoon boats and go out for barbecues. This isn't a formal program. It's not a part of anything. We just did it because we loved each other. It was so much fun. And then we take whole rows of this, of this plywood tabernacle with these Mennonites. Hallelujah. You know what a Mennonite is? Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> Simon Menos. It, it's, the, it's German pietism. It's, they, they wear those bonnets, uh, you know, and they're, 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 they're very proper. Um, but they're, they're very evangelical and very solid. I mean, they, they really know the Lord. Well, what happened is this pastor and his, his assistant pastor went, took the youth out to a camp and prayed for the Holy Spirit. Well, he showed up. And they had, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, these kids... And, and it's, 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 it's Native American kids and, and Anglo kids, everybody all together. And they're, they're flat on the floor for days. 
And they didn't do anything to them. It's not their fault. They're just Mennonite pastors, okay? And then the power shows up, and they all get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And these kids are having visions. These kids are, are calling out prophetically what's going on. I mean, it's a real meal deal. It was the real meal deal. Well, of course, they got fired when they got home. Uh, they got thrown out, and then they built this camp. Uh, in fact, that's who baptized me and Mary. Is, is I got there at Phil Mennonite. More fun. The best party in town. The most fun, warm, joyful place you could possibly be. No alcohol. You don't need it. If you need alcohol, you aren't having fun. If you're having fun, you don't need alcohol. The joy and the warmth is there. It's clean and healthy. It's a, it's a command. When Jesus commands us to do something, he is appealing to our will. He's saying that we are able to do this particular thing if we choose to. And his command to love one another with the same depth of love with which he has loved us, uh, he addressed to every one of us. He didn't say this only to those who have a warm, outgoing personality. Bless your hearts. He didn't say this only to those who come from healthy, loving families or have a high level of self-esteem. He said, if you are my disciples, I want you to love my people the way I have loved you. And if you will obey me, the world around you will know that there is something real taking place among you. And many will long to join you and will believe in me. What's required? In order to obey the new commandment, each of us must make certain decisions and then take obedient steps forward. Here are several. Number one, people. If we've been isolated or have been, we have to be willing to leave that safety of isolation and enter into relationship with people. Jesus expects us to live out our lives up as a part of a community of believers where we live life together to such a degree that we know one another's needs and are personally involved in caring for one another. That's a very important phrase. You see that? How big does this group have to be? Well, more than one. Jesus says a church, what, two or three? But frankly, if you love one another like that, it's going to grow unless you're real exclusive, and that's not what he's talking about. You start loving like that, more, it's gonna, more people are going to want to come. You can't go to Starbucks and have a nice time and not have people want to join you. You follow this? It's just there's just this, this process to it. I, I'm not going to ask for hands. How many of us, I, I didn't ask for hands, no. How many of us have been burned in relationships with other Christians? You cannot let that be an excuse not to obey the new commandment. You have any idea how many times I've been burned? Do you have any, how many, I, I got enough knives in my back to start a cutlery store. <laughs> you understand? And if I let that be my excuse, if I say, well, look, I got treated. I've let the devil win. So part of the cross you pick up is saying, Jesus, here we go. I'm going to open my heart again. I'm going to open my heart again. I will not close it off. I will not go. I will do this because you asked me to and you say it's important. You say this is vital. I will do it. So God will show you where. You say, well, I, and you may say I'm tremendously busy. In fact, that's the next thing I've got is time. 
I understand that. I am not making light of that. Some of you are working two jobs. Some of you get up every morning at 5 o'clock and drive off to work, you know, and you're exhausted when you get home. You go, where do I fit this into my life? I don't know, but God will show you how. One of the things we're even talking about is, and in fact, people are doing it now, these prayer triads where you can do it, you can do it with, with your phone. And you can call together and take 15 minutes at lunchtime with, be with people and just pray together. He'll show you a way, but you have to want to do it. You have to be willing to do it. You have to take a step to do it. Just invite somebody. That's all I ever did. I remember one time I got somewhere and I said, Lord, there's no Christians here. He said, great, then convert some. <laughs> oh, I didn't think of that, you know. And so I did. <laughs> you, don't have any, you don't have anybody? Go convert somebody. There you go. Now you've got a church, and, and, and you got your, you've got your community. It, it's up to us. We take that, 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 that step. In, any, in, in case any of his disciples missed his point, the first time Jesus issued this new commandment, he, said, he repeated it that same evening. Listen, and let's read this. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. He really wants us to do that, doesn't he? I, I will skip the next one and go to desire. But just, just think, life groups, prayer triads, LTGs, just friends. Just get a lunch group together at work. Just anywhere. People that you're willing to commit to and pray for and love and let open your heart to and they will open theirs to you. That's the process. Desire. We must desire to see this miracle take place. We must desire to obey our Lord's command. We must desire to love one another until the world marvels. And lost people long to be part of the family of God. Did you see that phrase? Lost people long to be part of the family of God. A new commandment. Why did Jesus call it a new commandment? What's new about it? Hasn't God always wanted his people to love each other? And, and why did he issue this command at the end of his years of discipling rather than at the beginning? I believe the answer is this. He was asking his disciples to love at a level deeper than was ever possible before. He was asking them to love like God loves. He was asking them to love like he loved them. And that required a miracle that would only be available after his cross and resurrection. He was looking forward to the era of the Spirit. He was talking about a love that could only happen after the Holy Spirit had removed the heart of stone and given them a heart of flesh. That miracle makes it possible for us to love at a new level. The book of Acts lets us watch this transformation take place. Following the day of Pentecost, frightened, weary believers suddenly became a bold community. One that not only survived in the midst of persecution, but thrived in it. Believers gathered daily from house to house to study the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and eat together, and to pray. They sacrificially gave to provide for those who had been abandoned for their faith and gladly welcomed new believers. No wonder, Luke says, they had favor with all the people. They were obeying the new commandment. And the result was, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That same miracle, the greatest miracle of all, is available to us today. 
Jesus wants, us to, wants to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will place within us a heart full of love for the family of God. Would you stand with me? Evangelism is so easy. Winning the world is so easy. According to Jesus. He says, if you will just get, love each other. And be not exclusive. See, this is the deal. Not exclusive, but welcome those who come. Welcome those. Let me, let me close with this story. I got you on your feet. And if, you, if, you, if it hurts, stay, sit down. But I won't be long. Just, just bear with me. There's an attractive quality when, when people get together and love each other. This is huge. When it's, when it's this kind of thing. When it's, when it's not pizza, but it's baked dish for 20 when they won't leave the hospital because their beloved is fighting for his life. That just rings. You don't have to say a word, really. They'll ask you, who are you people? Who are you people? Are you, are you, the, are you their pastor? Who are these people? It was the love. That's really all we have to do. And then be glad when they come. That's the key. Not exclusive. Glad when they come. Longing that they would join us. Willing to love. See, love doesn't wear out with use. Use. Love grows with use. That's why God, who already had his beloved son and forever, said, I'm going to make a human race that I can love and pour out my love on more. Because his great love just can just keep going. So can yours. So can yours. You can love so many, it, it just grows the more it's used. It's like a muscle. And that's all we have to do to win the world. And we just care for them. Lord Jesus, we love you. What a wonderful Father you are, Heavenly Father, that you sent your Son. Lord, that you loved us like this. You went to the cross. You waited to be arrested. You endured it with like, like, a, like a lamb led to slaughter, like a sheep was silent with her shearers. You let them do that to you because you loved us. This day, oh God, we, we just believe afresh in Jesus Christ. Believe afresh in his salvation. Believe afresh in the eternal life that's given to us. Praise you, Lord, for saving us. Grant us now, Lord, to love one another as you have loved us that the world might see and know that we belong to you and that there truly is a Savior for them. Come, Lord, we choose this day to obey the new commandment. Teach each of us how and where we are to live this out. We ask it in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.